got this. By the way, doesn't Jonathan Streeter totally look like Scarface when he's sitting in his bubble bath? You know, just like, hey, yo, I built this empire. Hey. Hey, you, man. Who put this thing together? I've never seen that movie because I don't watch rated R movies. So. If there's any question whether or not we record this live, there's your answer right there. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Midnight Mormons. I'm your host, Cardin Ellis, with Brad Whitbeck and Kwaku L. And we also have in the studio with us today none other than the thinker of thoughts himself, Jonathan Streeter, sitting just like, uh, who would I say was Scarface in his bathtub, you know, getting ready to have all the gangsters come in and, and learn their final lesson there right is, there. Yeah. Jonathan, introduce yourself, my man. Hey, I'm John Streeter. I am a podcast host at a YouTube channel uh, called Thinker of Thoughts. It started out as a blog called Thoughts on Things and Stuff, uh, kind of in the 2015 era, and moved to YouTube and have been following kind of the the back and forth between you guys and Bill Real and RFM. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, I think that you guys make some good arguments in a lot of your videos. And so I uh, was happy that uh, in our conversation, you were willing to have me on and maybe discuss some things. All right. Awesome. So, so how did, I guess, before we dive right in. So yeah. How did you come across us? I, we're a small channel. We just kind of well, spitball what we like. You know? I mean, you guys, I think you probably exist in a world of church defenders and apologists. And so you may see yourself as just one tiny puddle in a great big pool, but in the world of ex-Mormonism, there's really not anyone doing things in the space that you are where there's production quality, there's recognizable faces, um, you know, Brad from the Three Mormons, Kwaku from Three Mormons, and and then the tits video thing and all that stuff, you know, it created a big splash and, you know, people know who you are. And so it's, you know, it's like impossible if you pay attention to social media in the ex-Mormon space, not to see it just because everybody hates you, or at least they feel a lot of antagonism towards the arguments that you make. Yeah. No, that is a true, dude, actually, they do, man. We get a lot of hate. That really surprised me. And I come from the world of politics, dude. I had a channel <laughs> called Problem Solver Politics, in which, ch check this out. This is how completely politically homeless I was for a year. There was a candidate named Andrew Yang who ran on a, a platform of what some consider revolutionary when it's actually a very old idea that people had forgotten about in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And since it wasn't in living UBI. memory, they thought it was revolutionary. But he had a yeah. UBI candidacy of universal basic income. And the hilarious part was it was written by a Republican, Milton Friedman, and passed by a Republican Senate and House of Representatives in the late, late 60s, but was perceived in the modern era as this totally progressive thing. So it's like I would have to explain to like conservatives on one side, no, 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 this isn't socialism on steroids. Just, just hear me <laughs> out. And then like... I'd have to be explaining to like all my, you know, liberal friends and stuff like that. that No, 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 no. This isn't like, you know, some kind of draconian, horrible thing, you know? And so I was just like completely politically homeless for that whole entire year. But um, I never got threats in that whole entire year. Yeah. I started, uh, I, I agreed to produce and help direct uh, This Is The Show. And dude, mm -hmm. 
oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Never more in my life have I gotten more hatred with the 2,000 followers I had on freaking Midnight Mormons than I did with the 20,000 that I was talking politics with every day, you know? Well, you guys have mentioned on a couple of your videos the mob mentality that seems to be growing in the online space. And, uh, you know, you, you may not realize how it's not completely divided around the ideological lines of pro-church or anti-church. So you you mentioned your political thing where there was maybe some pushback and then you have people who are critics of the church pushing back on on the this is the show. But you, you guys have brought up the whole new name Noah thing. And when he came out with that, um, what he says was a joke, which is that he was going to film a porn in the temple. If you go on to Reddit, there was so much criticism of him doing that it really just kind of blew up and and he kind of had to just like people when they get canceled had to kind of go away for a little bit oh. because the ex-mormon community was livid that he would do something like that and tarnish the goodwill that many people have tried to build with their own family members trying to be reasonable upright people we, existing with family members who still build the church and then he goes and does that and does that and it completely undermines a lot of that goodwill and then you have things like um you know i i would not blame you if at some point you sabotaged me in this interview by bringing up <laughs> no no you're good fake, bro, you're good a by by bringing up a fake or hoax apology um in the words of the prophet to members on the issue of race and because I was the one that did that. And that was in 2018 when the church had its first meeting with the NAACP. And when that happened, the ex-Mormon community, there were a lot of people that first were like, yeah, yeah, we really did it. But then very quickly, when people started articulating how they felt that it was inherently racist to do that, then the ex-Mormon community completely um, demonized me. And I, ha I still have recordings of ex-Mormons leaving me voicemails saying that I'm human garbage. And so it is, you know, there's a lot of complexity in all of these issues and it's not so much just one side and the other, and we're always going to cheer for our team and we're never going to cheer for your team. Um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of division on that, but that's kind of where I try to take my approach with you guys. Cause it would be very easy to just hate you guys and hate on you and dig through all your videos and just find all the bad problematic parts that you do. And that's there, but it's really not that surprising. You know, other people are going to do that. But for me, I think it's listening to the things, the criticisms that you guys make of ex-Mormons and then just stepping back and saying, wait a second, is there any validity to these criticisms? And I think particularly now where a lot of the criticisms that you guys offer are criticisms we need to confront just in the wider society because we're seeing things like wokeness um, take on a kind of totalistic ideological framework that captures people's minds and leads them to having a worldview that completely disrupts their own personal private relationships and is creating more and more division in the institutions that we hold dear in our country. And so I think we need to start confronting this. This is kind of why in my own channel, I've started shifting more towards talking about these things because yeah. it's bigger than whether or not the church is true or whether or not you want to be in the church. When you talk about, you know, how can we deal with our history but still have a society that is able to come together and and progress work together reconcile with each other over differences and that's kind of why when you invited me on you thought you know like what could we talk about and so i wanted to bring up things that i think 
are relevant to your audience that maybe haven't been said as much in the ex-Mormon space, but I think are worth discussing. And okay, so I kind yeah. of came with a like little bit what? of that in mind. I, I, so I did saying, a lot of talking. No, I appreciate no, you giving no. me the can space I, for that. Can I, inter- oh, you're good. can I interject real quick? Because it's yeah. I, oh gosh, I'm I'm wearing these, so I hear it's horrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Welcome for, to media adulthood, by the oh, way, yeah. Quaker. You know First, I have that shirt. Jonathan, I have the shirt. Costco, baby. I have that shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I get all my clothes at Costco, and I get criticized uh, for it on my channel. Well, you outed me. I, I would never want anyone to know that I've ever bought a shirt at Costco, but I guess here we are. But oh, that's, <laughs> that's what I did. I, or I think I thrifted. It doesn't matter. But the second thing is uh, the past couple years, every time I've seen – well, the, the, the big dog uh, critical XLDS podcasters figureheads, they're all woke. They're almost all woke. And so a lot of people now are sort of taking, at, at least in, in Utah, Arizona, Idaho, Mormon Belt, leaving the church, unless you're one of those people who leaves the church and becomes a born-again Christian, you 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 become woke, mm-hmm. right? Like like you, you, you get adopted into the woke religion. And it's really interesting because I always assumed that if you go – atheistic or, or or just non-religious or you know you know what i mean that that whole area the liberation is that you're not beholden to anybody else you're not beholden to anybody's dogma you're not beholden to anybody's worldview you get to be free you get to say what you want you get to do what you want right you get to have george carlin energy which is literally just middle fingers up i get to i'm a free thinker I'm not following President Monson anymore, but now that means you need to be following Rachel Maddow. It's like an interesting where, where you're not – I don't know. I, I assumed being an atheist is kind of cool because you're now the cool <laughs> guys who get to say and do whatever you want. You're not following rules. But I honestly feel like you have to follow – like like the, the, the XLDS woke community makes you follow more now. And I hate the I hate the Reddit app, but every time I've gotten on it, mostly because Cardin will be like, "Bro, you gotta check this thing out. What they're saying about you on Reddit, man!" <laughs> and I'll go look at it. And I I've seen threads in which a topic is brought up about some kind of cause or, or worldview that the church is against that they're for, and someone will be like, "I'm not Mormon anymore, but I'm not sure if I agree with this," and that person will just get dogged on. If you know what I mean for making the cardinal sin of disagreeing with his new church. So it's interesting how society like you you almost like like it's hard to just be a lone ranger. You, they don't let you. They <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, let yeah. you just be you yeah. and that's it. So I Well, wanna... I think you have you have some real good insight into that, Quaku, and um I have some thoughts on it that I'm happy to go into well, if no, you guys No, I just I just want to let you talk, man, cuz like honestly, the first word that came to my mind in that kind of opening informal monologue of yours was just I just thought Beautiful. Finally, somebody's recognizing that. And I loved how you phrased it where you said the interruption of personal relationships, because the truth is, I think the greatest gift God gives us through the church is actually not the church itself, but the relationships that it gives us with people. And I I, I call it um, I call it God's bait and switch. It's almost like he's like, ah, ah. 
read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Here's your friend from Bible study. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, like, like, go to Boy Scouts, go to Boy Scouts, go to Boy Scouts. Here's your friend they met at Boy Scouts. You know what I'm saying? Come to church, come to church, come to church. Oh, boom, look at this great new family that you have. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's those people that are going to help you get through all of life's trials. And where the biggest blessings I've had in my life has have been when I have helped other people through their trials. And that's been centered around a belief structure. And and you had said something very interesting that, that it interrupts our personal relationships oftentimes when people leave the church and they have this big explosion and that's to their detriment. And then in your text message, you said something that there's a lot of really beautiful things that you think they leave behind that actually should be kind of kept and so on and so forth. So wherever you were going before me and Kwaku interrupted your thought process, I just want yeah. you to keep going because it, it sounded okay. beautiful. And I thought that's what got me into this apologetics. Although I hate it when people call us apologists because I'm sorry, mm -hmm. we're not apologists. I'm a radio host that simply calls BS when I see it. Brad is like the washboard abs on those like fake Lamanites whenever they just try and spray tan somebody in Provo and say, hey, go be an extra and run around in the background. What does that even mean? You know what I'm saying? And then Kwaku, he's just well, a goofball. I... Like he ain't no academic. The guy literally runs a company with a, a, a title young and dumb without any vowels. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, we're not apologists. It's because Kwaku is a master of marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, keep saying what you were saying. Just dive right oh, in. Okay. Well, I, I want to respond to Kwaku because I think, okay. you know, one of the things that you mentioned early on was, you know, like, I don't I don't understand why people get so mad or everything. And that's like, if you want to hold the position that you have and be at least listened to and respected, you need to understand why people feel the way that they feel about you, at least even if you don't agree with it. But to, to Kwaku's point, you know, people leave Mormonism and then suddenly they become woke. And, you know, all of us want to feel that we are good people. And the way that we are able to order and structure that sense of goodness is by having moral values and standards. And the church provides those moral values and standards to its members. And it does so in a very, um, very certain, very secure way. Yeah. And when you leave the church and you have to then reconsider those standards and values, there is this period of time where you feel moralist, you know, all those things the church says where it's like, you know, you'll be drifting in the ocean and you won't have any anchor. Th that is true because you have to reconsider what is right and what is wrong. Okay, the and it's very easy to will be offered by Sister Adams. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no, that's OK. But it's really easy to look at people who are doing that and saying, you just leave. You just want to sin. You have no moral standards or whatever. But when you leave the church, Leaving the church is an act of morality because what you have done is you have said that the things that you now have come to to see happen in the church's history violate your own conscience, your own standards of truth and authenticity. Authenticity, and I know you guys have some, you know, that's one of those triggering words, but when you decide that you can't follow leaders who did X, Y, and Z that you now understand are part of the church's history, because you feel that X, Y, and Z impeach the moral legitimacy of them to claim to be prophets or to, or to give validity to that moral structure, now you're in the wider world and you have to determine, how do I know what's right and wrong? And wokeness, what we'll call wokeness, is a moral framework. It's a way for you to place yourself in the world and see yourself as good. And it's hard. I think a lot of people, when they first dip their toe in it, they may not realize that realize that we're what they're doing because it plays upon our compassion and empathy. 
because it says that the world is divided between oppressors and the oppressed, and yeah. we're standing for the oppressed. So now any way that we can articulate that somebody is oppressed is a moral pronouncement that demonizes some institution or some person and doesn't really allow for any nuance on it because you get a lot of personal validation over being able to call this thing out. Yeah. And so mob action gets amplified because you have a bunch of people who now the way that they define their moral universe is by the standards that they're learning that occur in the wider secular world. And it's not uh, as black and white where once you leave Mormonism, this is now how you are. There are a lot of people who leave Mormonism that see these problems and, and say, wait a second, I don't have to accept this entire body of, of this moral framework part and parcel. And so those are the people that I get like private messages from who are like, you know, I can't really say how I feel about X, Y, and Z in the Mormon stories podcast community or things like that, because I'm just going to be called a bigot or something because we've redefined now bigotry according to this new moral framework. Yeah. And that, and they kind of ahead, trade Brad. one tribe for another, right? Rather well, the than thing is that the, <clears throat> the issue of tribalism is that's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that's part of the human condition. Yeah. No matter where you go, you're going to have a sense of your people and the other people and, and, um, Kwaku has said very legitimately in the past, where am I going to go? You know, if I leave the church, I'm just going to find some other institution that has history of racism and things like that. And so, I, you know, you could go, we could have a conversation about that and why I disagree with the dismissal of people who, um, you know, leave the church over that particular issue. But um, it's true that no matter where you go, you're going to have a sense of my side and the other side. I apologize for my dog. Oh, he's always fine. here. And sometimes he's, he's a Yorkie, so he's crazy. But so... I guess to, to target now this conversation to what I wanted to talk about here, um, first of all, if you put, you know, the title is going to be like things that ex-Mormons leave behind in the church that they should have kept. And and so you're actually, you like, just yeah, gave us the intro. <laughs> you just gave us the intro. Uh, thank you. Okay, well, can, I, come here. can I can I comment <laughs> real quick before, uh, yeah, quick, before we, we dive into that? Um, so this reminds me, this is of of a, a screenshot I put on Twitter. During this is the show, because I think we all had different angles of what we wanted to do with this is the show. Actually, I think this was our um, I think it was our our Dolin video. I'm not sure one of the two. Uh huh. But um, I kind of wanted to one one of the goals I had this past year was to demonstrate. Like I I, I recognize I'm probably not going to be convincing somebody who thinks Joe Smith is a charlatan to then believe in magic stones and 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 these plates. I'm, I'm, you're, it's like you kind of, if you, if you want to believe in that, you, you have to want to believe in that. And if you don't believe in it, werewolves. you don't believe in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, you're not really going to PDF someone into believing it, right? So I, uh, I wanted to at least get people to recognize, like, hey, I wonder if we for one minute can be the guys who have the dangerous information. You know what I mean? We can be the dangerous ones and we can see if we can make the, the, Mormon stories type people, the ones who were a little afraid. So this is a screenshot um, of, of from uh, the Reddit page. And also, we're not saying Jonathan Shooter is anti-ex Mormon Reddit. We're not trying to get you in trouble with your with your buddies, you know, but just this is just <laughs> That's me. That's OK. So he said, don't give Quaku clicks. Read the summary instead and linked a summary. Right. Mm -hmm. To uh, which is quite similar to don't read the anti-Mormon book. Here is, you know, someone trusted who's talked about it anyway. 
And so, um, oh, well, Kwaku, come on, you got to be honest with that one in terms of we know that in social media, clicks determine uh, the footprint that something has. And it's a very common trope whenever people are on opposite ideological lines. When somebody posts something, they'll say, just don't don't click it. Just read the thing, because we don't want to give them views, which will then amplify their thing. So I know that that happens. in So the you're being realm nice and, and you're trying to take into account the psychological fundamental attribution error. See, I much prefer the red meat. So uh, no, I'm t- I totally just did. Totally well, no, I I actually think that um it's uh it's oh wait boy how did I just lose it? It's it's I, you had a train of thought. I didn't want to derail it. I'm sorry. Well, for while that. you're looking that up, oh, quick, I got it. I I'll got just it. oh you got it. Okay, okay cool. Um, well, it's more so of uh well the, I think the next comments will sort of make it make clear. So um you know it's obvious you don't want to give someone clicks because you don't want to promote their material. Um, and you don't want to promote their material because you don't want people to see it. And to me, that's where I interpret it as. Same with an, an anti like a Zelf on the Shelf video. I've seen people when I was on Saints Unscripted say like, okay, don't look at the Saints Unscripted video. I mean, the Zelf on the Shelf video. Don't give them any sort of clout, right? Instead, mm-hmm. so it just seems similar how you can switch it. So the first comment says, thanks for the summary. I refuse to watch the video. He won't get any clicks from me. Second one says, nope, not me. I scroll right past. Not impressed. And so they're also like, I refuse, I refuse. No, you have to block out this right here, okay? You, like, block out the customer. Oh, card. no. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Just don't, you don't make me block it. I'm I got to. I have just to. Say, just crap. say the word bleep. <laughs> okay. No, because the cuss words are really funny, okay? I swear. Okay, I, fine. He says, one guy in Exmoor comments, I'm not part of a cult anymore, and nobody tells me what the <laughs> F I do. I'll click as many effing links as I want. You sound just <laughs> like the stick Mormons who spent years telling what I should or shouldn't read. No thanks. And so, um, and then someone said edgy and he said, want some eggs to go with that salt. Um, and someone else said that. And he said, uh, the extra commenter, if thinking for yourself is edgy, then guilty as charged. I'm not a part of cult programming anymore. I had no idea what the video was, but now I'm going to watch it. And <laughs> call gets a click. Okay. So it was interesting watching that pushback because obviously we had a lot of people watch it from that page, but yeah. it's interesting just that the people who who spent a long time being told don't read don't watch anti-mormon stuff don't do it don't do it don't do it to now being you know having watched it and saying my eyes are open the church is fake the church is false and then going by the way don't watch the mormons video don't get it's just really interesting it's like you 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 didn't like you didn't learn anything when you left but yeah, I mean, you learned something, but you didn't learn anything. You know what I mean? Like, like, and and well, I think the the other side of that is there wasn't going to be anything in a video defending the church that people who have already been in the position of defending the church would learn that was new. You know, I as, as a Mormon, I had a good friend hand me an anti-Mormon book when I was in college and say, "Hey, you really need to know what you believe." And I looked at it. I had been told that there was anti-Mormon literature and that I shouldn't read it. And I handed it back to him and I said, you know, I really appreciate that you care enough about me to do this, but I already know what I believe. I don't need that book. But the book did wow, contain so things that I, I, I did not know. I reading all that crap, but. I, yeah. I didn't. I was, I mean, I could tell that you guys maybe were exposed to more anti-stuff. When I say anti-stuff, it's stuff that the church has whitewashed from its manuals because I was, I was in medical school. Like I was trying to raise a family, mm-hmm. had a really rigorous educational career. I didn't have a lot of time to study that stuff. I was just doing my calling and being a scout master and doing all the things that were part of life as a Mormon. So when it, when I finally slowed down enough to reevaluate both my political and then my religious positions, that's when I learned all of these things. 
And it did. It was hard for me to take that first step and to actually read something that I knew the church didn't want me to read. And I approached it with a high degree of skepticism. I didn't want somebody's opinion. I didn't want Ed Decker's opinion. I didn't want the Tanner's opinion. I, if they said something, I said, show me the source. And I would go back and find the actual source from church friendly sources. And that was how my journey went. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can see how that idea that don't, don't watch this video seems like, oh, it's the same thing. It's just a cult on the other side. But there was nothing in the tits video that would really make oh, this, anyone this, who was this familiar was the with the video. Uh, well, okay. Well, even then, I don't know that. Uh, I, if if anything, a lot of the Delin video probably hurt you guys in terms of um, your ability to reach anyone who actually had lost the testimony of the church. I think they would probably take you less seriously after that. But that I don't think that's your target audience. I think you're more in the defense of people well, who are I in know, the dog, church. To quote Carden, I don't know, dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and, because I, we had a lot of like even uh even I won't I won't give the name but we all know a, a mm-hmm. famous uh, uh, Utah influencer with a clothing line, um who everyone my age looks up to and wears her stuff is a fan of his podcast and she and I share a, a similar audience and getting as much of my audience to to see what you know I, the goal was to people to write it off to people to go what's Mormon story isn't that the guy with who is grabbing that you know and and that's that was the goal right because. And by the way, there are certain people I would never make a video like that about who I disagree with vehemently. But I do think sometimes villains, you know what I mean? I just think like if you got a villain, I know he's your buddy. If you got a villain, I think it's hey, I think it's well, it's well, fair. And, and I think there's something to be said that, for I want to hear what Brad has to say. Uh, for what Jonathan is going for here. Did I say John, Jonathan, what do you prefer? Either one is fine. Okay. If, if you want to make me sound sophisticated, say Jonathan. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so um, I, I think there's something to be said for like, um, even though that is the reality of what we're dealing with, with people being at a base level more in the tribalistic side of things. Um, one of the things that actually really impressed me was seeing one of your videos responding to ours where I can't remember the name of the method that you chose to go through. Um, you you had Chris. Rappaport's rules of engagement. Yes, Rappaport's yeah. rules of engagement. You went through the five steps of trying to figure out where we actually agreed first, or, and, and trying to restate our opinions for us, right? Like, and make sure you understood yeah. where we were coming from. I actually really appreciated that because I think that, um, I mean, there's we all have different goals within the content we're creating, right? Like sometimes it mm-hmm. is to get people to believe a certain way because we believe that that is correct. Other times it's, hey, we, you know what? We need to build a community. We need to get people on the same page, right? And help people recognize that, hey, we have friends in different places than we might've thought. And I think that if we ever are trying to actually get to understanding each other, that starting off with those Rappaport's rules and trying to find where we agree with one another is a really, really solid thing. And that's why I was excited to have this conversation with you now about um, the thing that you want to speak on right now. Okay, the, well, the, let's the just dive that into people that. Shouldn't leave. Yeah. Okay, well, just before just before you dive into that, I will simply say in thirty seconds where I came at to the whole this is a show thing because apparently Quaco had a totally different view of it than Brad did. Brad was super nice. I'm talking uh, about the Delin video. Okay, Quaco is super dismissive. Is I had simply started this whole project uh, because it's actually me that started that this is the show thing. 
and I didn't choose the name. That was a stupid boomer thing, actually. We'd originally called it Saints Unleashed, and the Saints Unscripted people got so angry after we filmed our first three days of it that they actually sent an email like threatening to sue us and stuff. And it created such drama after we'd gotten verbal permission from them that we had to go back up to Utah to refilm the whole thing and treat the whole first time as a rehearsal. So those people are just on my crap list. I could give a crap what they think, okay? And I had simply done this because a bunch of my friends had gone inactive and had gone with this new woke version of ex-Mormonism that forces them to hate me because all woke ex-Mormonism does now is train people that have left the faith to hate those that are still in the faith for what I perceive as a wildly cynical interpretation of history. I think in the overstandardization of the church due to its rapid expansion throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was an overstandardization of the church that I, I don't think whitewash, which is the term you used, is the word I would choose. I would say overstandardized the history of the church to such a degree that we hear the Thomas B. Marsh bucket of cream story four times. Milk once, strippings, bro. You know what you I'm saying? You can't yeah. hear it so many times and get it wrong. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> we, we end up hearing the same story over and over again, and that's not because of some kind of cabal in the church office building trying to hide secrets. To me, it's a natural consequence of a successful missionary program, and it needs to be contextualized. And then if they do have historical details that we want to uh, talk about, let's talk about them with R Rappaport's rules of engagement like you do, instead of this psycho thing that I see going online, where like I'm told by John DeLynn that if I simply believe that, yeah, I think the Articles of Faith are a good thing. You know what I'm saying? You're part of the reason why LGBTQ youth are self-terminating and you're part of the problem, you racist, bigoted, homophobic, you know, and like, and, and, and it was driving so many wedges between me and my friends that quit the church, not created by me. Like wedges were like, we get text messages saying, you know, I really don't feel comfortable showing up if, uh, you know, you won't renounce uh, you know, your faith before Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, what? Like, I, I never knew anybody that said, you're not welcome to come to my house until you get baptized in Mormonism. So why must I get yeah. baptized in wokeism before we can hang out now? So that's the emotional energy I took into the whole entrance of armchair apologetics. Uh, Is this making sense? Well, I can I can hear you and I can understand you feeling that way. There's a, the the side of it that, I think I figured out that you guys maybe haven't put yourself in the shoes of, and that is really understanding how somebody who comes to the determination that the church's claims of legitimacy are ill-founded. And so they look back on their life and they look at how their own identity and their life was shaped because they made decisions trusting that the church's claims were true throughout their entire life. And so once they believe that the, the church had no claim to those to the legitimation that it that it had then they start looking at their life as having been significantly affected in a negative way in that it robbed them of their agency mm. because they weren't able to make choices that based on what they now believe to be reality yeah and so there's a phase of that where they have a lot of anger i went through it myself as well and when yeah. you have that anger when you're confronted with apologists who continue to defend the church, you feel like somebody who is trying to escape an abuser and you have somebody coming in and saying, no, no, he didn't beat you. He didn't do these things to you. And the, just as you're starting to develop more of your own personal footing, 
So for having someone to come in and do that, you feel like this is now somebody who's even, you know, on the same level of, of your abuser because they're inflicting more psychological abuse to you. And I agree with you that you've mentioned before that we we're heading to an, a world where we're using the term abuse and words are violence with a great deal m- more looseness than we should. Yeah. Um, having been through it myself, though, there is a, um, you know, there is a wound that happens just like if you were to talk to a Jehovah's Witness who in the mode of belief allowed a child to die because Jehovah does not want blood transfusions. Well, once they discover that the claims of the Jehovah's Witness founders are false and illegitimate, then they look back on that decision and they say, something was robbed from me. I was wounded by what I now see as a deception. Now, the people who remain in the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, you're deceived. You know, you made the right choice. And in Mormonism, when people make cross that threshold and they're on the other side, they see things that you guys probably wouldn't see or relate to if you have never really been there as being very harmful and wounding. Now, People talk about LGBT individuals who, once they leave the church, it's kind of the same thing where they felt that the pressure, the sense of worthlessness, the sense of not being able to um, fulfill God's plan that the church has been trying to overcome in the way that it's adapted its theology. But it, you know, people that come to the point where they're on the other side now look back at the church and they feel that wound. And when someone comes on and says, well, you shouldn't have been hurt. You, uh, you know, you took things too literally, too seriously. That's just twisting a knife that they're trying to pull out of their heart. And so when people kick back at you in social media, it's that pain speaking through the page. And, and I did it. A lot of people do it where you just take that too far and you lose sight of the humanity of the people who even defend the church. For me, a big part of it was there's a guy named Kevin Barney who works with Fair Mormon. And I first encountered him on a DVD about the Book of Abraham that my stake president gave me when I started to have questions. And I went to a Nauvoo retreat with Sunstone and Kevin Barney was there. And we were learning all about church history and I became really fascinated with it. But I, you know, we sat down and I just wanted to hear his story because I knew he defended the church and he worked for Fair Mormon. And he started his study of defending the church because he had a son or a a child or someone close to him that had left the church. And he was trying to understand and trying to find a way to help him. And that really did a lot for me, humanizing the people who were apologists, who before that point I saw as perpetuating this harm. And so the same thing is true of Brian Hales, even though I disagree with a lot of the stuff that he has, I know that he's trying in his own worldview to help. And he's acting out of love, even if, if I see a lot of the excuses and rationalizations that he offers as perpetuating harm towards women and not doing the church any favors, but it's kind of like so, you have you have to really go to put yourself in the other shoes and understand their perspective to really get that. Okay. So, and it helped me not take it personally. Yeah, no, I totally understand. As much as I have developed an online reputation as being some kind of jerk, I actually am very empathetic <laughs> to, the, to the concept of you need to walk a mile in somebody's moccasins before you can judge them, okay? Um, what would you say then, because... I want to be empathetic, but I also don't feel like I can validate every premise of what you just said. And we can argue details that we have 15 podcasts arguing 15 different details. Right. But what do you do as someone who's trying? Because there's there's only a certain amount of information out there. There's only a certain amount of primary sources that we really have for some things. 
You know what I'm saying? And there's only a certain amount of data that we truly can analyze. And there really is only one truth. You know, if, if, if there's a criminal who's in court, you know, we basically have to prove that he was there with the gun. That round was in that chamber, came out of that gum at that time, and he committed that crime. And there's only so many, you know, ATM cameras we can look at. There's only so much forensic evidence we can look at, you know. And I feel like with so many of these historical issues that people call them that are problematic, there's only a certain amount of data. And half the people seem to come out of it saying, okay, cool. I, I, I see how this is. You, you're still a faithful member that this really wasn't a big deal or else, oh, you know, yeah, maybe a flawed individual. This was their oopsie or, or whatever, you know. And they choose the redemption and the faithful path while other people choose, you know, what I would consider maybe the more cynical or, or too right-brained or whatever path, okay? Um, there's only a certain amount of information. And I have found personally my biggest frustration has not been that people have made mistakes in church history, but that dishonest bad actors who I don't feel and through personal interaction have come to know are not interested in the well-being of LGBTQ youth are twisting the data and the stats about LGBTQ youth well-being in Utah, for example, to try and pull people out of the church and into a podcast that they can monetize. What do you say to someone who, like me who has friends of all kinds of different uh, diverse backgrounds, so on and so forth. Uh, we've got bishops in my stake that are black, that are American Indian, that are whatever. You know, my, my stake's far more wildly diverse than the blogosphere of ex-Mormon men, middle-aged Wasatch front dudes who constantly rail on the church. What do you say to someone who, like me who dives into the history and then sees like, wait, no, John DeLynn, no, you're purposefully misrepresenting this. You're, you're twisting these quotes into something that they're not. And, and I can't bring myself to feel like these people that are going inactive and now, you know, throwing the shade on me on social media. It's hard for me to empathize with people that have chosen to interpret a 50-50 statement, you know what I'm saying, the incorrect way based upon a hatred that they have. And it's like, I don't feel like it's my job to facilitate your cynicism. Does that make sense? Like at some point yeah, I, I have to say I, no. I get where you're coming no. from. Um, and I think that if you, I think a lot of you guys start with a, um, a presumption of the goodness and the honor and integrity of a lot of people in church history. And so if you're presented with a 50, 50, um, you know, you could interpret it one way or you could interpret it another then you tend to interpret it more favorably. You make more allowances for church leaders. And I think that that makes sense if you're starting from, you know, these people are men of God, they're not perfect, but in general, they're going to make good decisions, particularly when they have things that have been codified into policy. Well, I and wouldn't say, that, I wouldn't say it, that's the way I approached it. I'd say I trusted their motivations as being good. Can I, can I generally had more trusting motivations? I have an answer and, for, for that. Um, and uh, essentially, I think I do. I agree with you, Jonathan, that I do start with the presumption of of goodwill on church leaders parts. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not as much of a faithful spiritual reason as more of a thankful obligation. So uh, one example is I have a friend 
who had she she had a big whole faith crisis mostly around the subject of polygamy she said she wasn't taught yeah. the lengths of polygamy in church history and she thinks she was you know kind of horrified by it and i was like what do you mean you didn't like what do you mean you weren't taught you didn't know and she's like i don't i just don't know and so i insert first name i can't say her let's say her let's say her name is chelsea okay i said okay. chelsea your last name is kimball she's a direct descendant of Heber C. Kimball and one of his wives. And we did her church, her, her family history. And she, we had to talk about, like, hey, you would not exist were it not for polygamy. Now, now she's, like, a faithful, loves the church, is always posting about it, you know. She, was, she got out of that crisis. But there's an obligation, in, literally in her DNA, to not turn against the very <laughs> organization that sort of brought her to exist here. So I I take a look at it and I say, look, I understand that I think Brigham Young was totally wrong on race, totally wrong in a number of things. However, I have I live in a great place. I have a great job. I have great friends and none of that like like my entire world right now, the thankfulness I have in life, I would not have had Brigham Young not led 70,000 people across the desert and started this land of Utah. I can't reap all of the benefits of the hard work of these people that came before me um, and then, you know, kind of give them the finger and say, oh, well, I don't know if they were good people. Yeah, that, I, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem morally honest to me. And, and I, That's without believing in God or Jesus or any of that. Just, just, that's just, I don't know right. how I can do that. And, well, quite good. I think that speaks to where your approach to the church is really based on, some would describe it as kind of utilitarian or what you get out of it, what you have now. And that in and of itself is the primary motivator of your faith. It's not whether or not it's true or whether or not the claims of the prophet are true. It, th that's what you're saying, because the argument that she's alive now because of polygamy well, you could take uh, somebody who was alive and they were the product of a or something. And the fact that they're alive now does not legitimize things that led to them being there. So the, the logic of that argument doesn't work for somebody who is looking for whether or not something in polygamy was actually originated from God and a manifestation of God's will through his prophet versus a man who claimed to speak for God who wanted access to multiple women. And, and I guess the, the difference that I want to, I guess, draw the line, there, there's one article that was probably one of my most popular articles that doesn't have the word Mormon in it at all. It doesn't even talk about Mormonism, but it talks about wood tools and steel tools. And wood. And it, the name of the article is um, the one amazing trick to solve a faith crisis. And it just says, you know, just imagine that's you have a loved one who's not in your church, but like is a Scientologist and they come to you and they're like, you know, I've had all these doubts or anything, but I don't know what to do. This is what my leader is telling me. And the leader is trying to get them to overcome doubt. But when you're in a faith crisis, you're not trying to overcome doubt. You're trying to find truth because all of the things that the Scientology leaders are telling your loved one are aimed at overcoming doubt. And so wood tools are ways of overcoming doubt, W-O-O-D. And so you could say if any of those arguments that are meant to overcome doubt of somebody in a tradition, in a moral matrix that you know is illegitimate, if those tools 
silence doubt there, then they are tools which keep people deceived. And so if you hear then in the Mormon church, although the article doesn't talk about Mormon church, if you hear those same types of things coming to you, then that should be a red flag. It doesn't mean that you're trapped in a deception. It just means that that's a red flag, that those excuses aren't able to discern truth from error because they keep someone they kept someone trapped in something like Scientology. Well, I, and but, steel well, tools are different. Steel tools is, uh, it's I forget, it's like searching for truth through uh, education, erudition, and if... Yeah needed liberation i I, I fully under i fully understand that however i think that the topic of of what you brought up was an appreciation for what came before as opposed to a decision on right whether this is a true religion or a false religion this friend of mine the 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 confusion she had about polygamy was bringing her to have a disappreciation or disrespect or an anger toward those people right like like no if she was conceived of there's no way anyone's gonna say well sometimes is good like nobody's going to say that but to say oh well how how why on earth could i believe that any of these people were good right human beings as opposed to a horrible Mm -hmm. action it's well well you know, what you, you, I, you, you have to I think, I, think I get where you're going on this and that is the, the tendency that we have to see them. those people as bad. And that's something that for me, studying the church doesn't really help that. For me, the thing that helped me understand that better was studying other religious sects in which a leader brought out a teaching, a leader that was respected and, and legitimate in the eyes of his followers, brought out a teaching that allowed them to have unorthodox sexual relations with his leaders. So you can look at David Koresh, you can look at Julius um, Shacknow, who's considered the sinful Messiah, and you can look at the different teachings that they gave their followers, and their followers were pious people who loved God, who wanted to be good. They accepted the legitimate authority of those leaders, and so when the leaders came out with new revelations which subverted their normal traditional morals, they accepted them. And they changed their own morals to now accept these unorthodox sexual practices as good and from God. And so they were good people. They were deceived and manipulated by religious charlatans. And so you can look like if you study that type of thing and then you look back at Mormons, you can see, I think in particular Heber Kimball, when you read the story of how troubled he was over the doctrine of polygamy and how it was only when his wife, who had also heard the teaching and had an idea that he was struggling with it, came around that he was able to finally accept it and internalize it. You can see that he's somebody who's confronted with someone he completely revered as the man of God. And he adapted to it. And then the rest of his life was operating within that framework as though that's the the word of God. And so I think people who have troubles with polygamy are probably looking at the plight of women because they end up get, getting trampled by these claimed new moral standards that allow things which were previously prohibited and end up really robbing women of their agency. So then- and Anyway, that's that's kind of well, my then, response. Well, so what on do you that. say before we jump into your topic here? And I, 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 I'll, I'll, this is the last thing I'll say before you, you know, do subject number three or whatever we talked about in uh, <laughs> our, our text messages. We'll get there. What do you say to somebody who like me? You know, I was born in the '80s. Okay, in my lifetime, there was never a priesthood ban. Uh, in my lifetime, I was never asked with any kind of polygamy or anything like that. I've gone into the world with this fresh face. And the people that I see being dogmatic, 
telling others that they can't have a relationship with loved ones over some kind of strange belief structure and who have very bad sexual practices. Serious rape allegations with the New Hampshire uh, a, a, a Commission on Human Rights and the Utah Commission on Human Rights, like John DeLynn. Podcasts where they talk about trying to go to swinging parties and pick up on other couples while on dates with their wife, like, like Bill, Bill Real, which I just heard this week. You know, What do you say to a guy like me who's like, hold on a second, this church of woke, this church of ex-Mormonism, that's the destructive church. That's the destructive church. Say what you want about these people from 300 years ago, but I'm sorry, there was nothing that wasn't racist 300 years ago. There was nothing that wasn't weird 300 years ago. Look at the history of America. It, it, uh, America literally has presidents saying that Indians are subhumans, not worthy of a territory in the North American continent, and, and, and forcing them to migrate to uncultivatable lands, die of starvation, or of wars that they didn't start. You know what I'm saying? And, and when you find this out, that maybe your childhood version of the innocence and the beauty of America wasn't what, it, what you thought it was, that, you know, the battle of Wounded Knee was really just a massacre, and the people that got the Purple Heart really weren't heroes. They were probably shot by friendly fire from other Americans. Careful, you're turning, you're turning you woke know? yourself right now. You know, you're well, no, I'm, Americans. I'm just, I'm historically <laughs> accurate. And so, so why can't I as an American say, yeah, we effed up. And despite our F up, the scoreboard is 99-10 and we're still better than the alternative. How is that valid with these people? How is okay. that valid with these people? But but um, doing that with your religion isn't. Because I didn't see John DeLynn when he figured out that the Battle of Wounded Knee was really just a massacre. I didn't see him march down to the Salt Lake Embassy and say, I renounce my U.S. citizenship. Oh, and by the way, I do it with loud phone speakers, music, a party going on, and, and reporters from the Salt Lake Tribune telling me how great I am. When Jeremy Runnell secretly records you know, his, 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 his court of love or whatever, and then comes out and says, I'm no longer a member of this church and, and is basically the biggest rock star he's ever been in his life. You know, I look at that and I think, hold on a second, what's being divisive here? It's not the faith that I've gone to every Sunday in which I've never heard an anti-gay sermon, in which I've never heard an anti-black sermon, in which I've never heard, uh, 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 dude, dude, don't talk to people about our church history. No, I've seen a church that's bent over backwards my entire adult life to publish everything it can find on Joseph Smith, no matter how, no matter how strange or damning it could potentially be perceived by anti-Mormons. From my view, unencumbered by some kind of desire to deify people of the 18th or 19th century, I look at the current sphere and, and, and the bad actors and the hateful bigots as being those that are trying to tell my friends to cultivate their most cynical halves. Whereas at least when you go to church, you're told to cultivate your most positive half. So, so that's where I come from, getting so tired. You want an answer to the question of what do you say to someone like that? Yeah. What do you say to someone like me where I'm like, look, yeah, polygamy was bogus. <laughs> but guess what? 1834 was anymore. bogus. We fought a civil yeah. war over slavery. We were so degenerate as a culture. We thought other human beings were property and had to go to the bloodiest war possible in order to end that institution. And you want to complain about Brigham Young's quote about somebody? You know, like, it just seems so wildly intellectually dishonest to me. And it seems like they only reserve it for the church. They don't have the guts to renounce their U.S. citizenship and say where they think it's better because it's not. 
but they'll sure as heck post their quitmormon.com thing online and say, if you don't quit Mormon like I did, then you're part of the problem, which is literally the opening video of John DeLynn's Understanding Mormonism podcast. He literally claims if you don't, uh, you know, come up with an answer that I find is good enough for these 10 questions, you are part of the problem. That's wildly toxic. And I, I don't see any kind of positive empathy for that. Somebody can't sit there and say, oh, because I've chosen to interpret history cynically, you must love me and must believe my cynical interpretation or you're, you're committing violence against me. No, I'm simply telling you, dog, life's full of tons of problems and I'm here to help you. But I'm not going to let you say that, you know, I'm racist just because, you know, I think Brigham Young's pros outweighed his cons. Th that's where so I come from. What, I guess what I would start with is five Red Bulls. Uh, <laughs> yes, I would start I out with this idea that, that there's an, I can get the idea that you would see people like John DeLynn or Bill Real as prophets of the Church of Ex-Mormonism. Um, just like you would probably not want people to think that all Mormons are brainwashed and all think in a monolithic way, ex-Mormons are the same way. And they look at people like Bill Rill and John DeLynn not as having any truth based on their special claimed status of either divine sanction or anything like that. So there's a, there's a, a built-in um, willingness to be skeptical and to look and investigate in things that, you know, people may not act on. And they may not, they, I think they probably approach it much like you guys do, where they just assume a degree of uh, honesty and a degree yeah. of goodness there. And there is, they there is they that. They trust it and they just do because it's right, easier. Right. And that, yeah. Just, and just like that text that Kwaku read, there's still people who are like, wait, I'm not going to just go along with groupthink. If someone brings this stuff up, I'm going to look into it and see if it is or not. And then they also see that a lot of John DeLynn's work he's gotten a lot of pushback and criticism in his interviews in the past when he injects his own view. It's Mormon stories. It's not John DeLynn's stories. And so there have been times when he injects more of his personality, more of his own personal views into the discussion with his guest, which, you know, it's hard to do when you're doing a long form interview to keep yourself silent on that, particularly when it's something you're very emotionally invested in. But um, there is that sense that just because he thinks away doesn't necessarily mean that it is that. And to the extent that um, the, I want to go back to the cynicism point because that's actually going to play a lot into the discussion that I kind of want to get to eventually. Yeah, we'll get cynicism, to it, I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, it is serving to your position right now to have a high degree of cynicism towards the nation in the time of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, because then you can say they were no different from them. And I think where people would say that doesn't actually fit with my own analysis of it, this is where I am, is when I look at the life of William Lloyd Garrison, who was born just within weeks of Joseph Smith, and he devoted his life towards ending slavery. And when the um, when slavery was ended in the United States, Lincoln said that it was the moral persuasion and the moral force of people like William Lloyd Garrison and the abolitionists who swayed the heart and mind of enough people in America to get to the point where we could end it uh, legally. And that sort of thing, when you look at the Quakers, when you look at other people who, because of their Christian conscience, saw a principle of universal brotherhood of men, they existed back in that time. And they risked a great deal to try to get those ideas out there. 
And so there were good people standing against the sin of racism at the same time that Joseph Smith was trying to distance himself from the abolitionists and in a letter to, jo to Oliver Cowdery repeated a lot of the same biblical justifications for slavery. And so when you look at history, I don't want to have a completely cynical view of Joseph Smith. I consider him to be brilliant. I consider that him to you know, be far more accomplished than I'll ever be. But I also don't want to have a completely cynical view of the world around him because there were good people who stood up for things that the church had to catch up on at that time. And so I think that's where I would respond by saying that it's not exactly as you put it, where the, the racism of the church was simply just all in the air at that time. There were people that were standing up that did not even claim to be prophets of God. And meanwhile, Joseph Smith is having revelations in DNC 111 telling him where to find gold in the basement of a widow who dies so that nobody else knows about it. And so a someone who is critical of the church is say, wait a second, if God is willing to have these specific revelations about something as trivial as that, when you have William Lloyd Garrison, abolitionists, Quakers, others who are trying to get the world to abolish slavery, at the same time, you have to say, why would God not tell Joseph Smith about these other things that have, I think we would agree, a higher priority in the moral character of the church in its fledgling state, because it yeah. was far harder for the church to have polygamy than it would have been for the church to side with the Quakers against slavery. But I, and I'm not the only one. There are people who are defenders of the well, church making this point too. Paul W. Reeves, in his presentation about the way we have to confront the issue of racism, points this out. And Sisters in Zion, the same thing. They they point that out. And so it's it, I, it's it's a complex thing. Yeah. And when people change the way that they conceptualize the prophets, it changes a whole heck of a lot of how you see the entire project of Mormonism. And you kind of want to just throw it all away and start from scratch. But that's where we get to our topic today, which is that there's actually some good stuff in Mormonism that yeah. ex-Mormons tend to abandon when I don't think that they should. And, and if we want to go into that conversation, maybe that's a good segue. Yeah, I, I, Let's I, I do was, it. <laughs> I was literally just going to say, you know, you and I could argue each one of these topics. And who knows? Maybe you have a fun little 10-part series. because We should, because I think you, it'd be really interesting to and, go over. And, and, and this is... I've really enjoyed this first hour. I already You'll, had my church history quotes. Before. Yeah, that's funny. Like, well, actually, he was anti-slavery. If you read eighteen forty-two, like I was literally. Well, well no, no, and, 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 and this is this is what I suggest. Like this is what I suggest, and this is why actually I like you, Jonathan, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Not been offended by it. I've really enjoyed it, and it's why I've actually always enjoyed reading anti-Mormon literature. Believe it or not, because I've liked diving in and doing the, the 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 mental work that you have to do to quote know your religion, right? Um, I like that you and I disagree on this, and I think our healthy debate, as Thomas Jefferson said, will be the clamor of many voices through which the church—I mean, the truth—is established, as uh, Jefferson said. Um, so on another day, we'll have to take case by case yeah. each one of these yeah. um, topics. Okay, That'd be good. but the reason why I give you cred and why I really like you and I wanted you to come on our podcast is because we have done this without me saying that you're a horrible person that wants to take my family and friends away from me. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> felt your motivation has been to destroy somebody else's faith or monetize their suffering, you know. And I have a feeling that you think something similar of me. And because of that, I feel there's a mutual respect that I very much appreciate and actually feel I benefit from. So I invite you 
to a whole series of future discussions where we can get in on Joseph Smith's uh, great revelations about where the treasure was. Hopefully, not all of those were published, and we can find him in some mission president from 1830s, you know, uh, treasure chest somewhere and find it, right? But anyway, um, we're going to have those conversations another day. Let's jump right in to what your third okay. topic was. Oh, oh, oh. 